If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in uh, numerous uh, chapters in the book of Acts. Um, our theme this morning is we're going to look at joy. Joy throughout uh, the early church. And what does that mean for us uh, today? So I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll get to work. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for gathering us here uh, on this beautiful fall day. Father, I pray as we uh, dive into this topic, I pray that we seek your presence because it's in your presence where the fullness of joy is found. And so I pray from the youngest to oldest, you show us how uh, we can live a life filled with joy. So it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All of us in the room have something in common, and that is that we seek joy. We enjoy things, and so we will seek that out. And so everybody in the room knows how to have joy. We have an example from this past Friday night. Um, our football team's going down to the field, and we score a touchdown. Um, you, you see, uh, I believe this is uh, Quantez scoring. Uh, you see Mario coming. You see a couple of the wide receivers of the faster guys getting on down the field getting ready to celebrate Mike Hall, typical praise attitude, right? Hands up, touchdown. The most impressive guy here, Mike and Demarion, most impressive guy happens to be right here. Now, this is Phil Madison, right? Phil Madison uh, is about five feet off the ground. This is him hopping, and he started back here, right? But as soon as he saw him score, he starts jumping. Why? Because joy always expresses itself in praise. And so these guys are praising our team for doing what is right on the football field. Your life does the same thing. Your praise will show you what you enjoy the most in life. All right, so today what we're going to talk about is joy. And now I'm cautious about this topic. I'm very cautious about the topic of joy because uh, what I hear a lot of times is uh, you just need to be happy. Um, things will go well if you're just happy. And, and we're not talking about that fluffy, pie-in-the-sky type of joy. We're talking about a joy that surpasses our understanding. And I say that with this. I understand in the room, among our members, we have a lot of people going through a lot of things. Right, so Corrie is not here today leading music because her mom is having a serious surgery and she doesn't know how it's going to go. Can Corrie and Coach Tucker still have joy in the unknown of a health condition? We've had members lose family members this week. We've had a member have surgery. We had a member have something happen at work that he wasn't expecting. We've, we're going through the ringer as a church. And so the last thing you probably want to hear is, hey, you need to have joy from a guy speaking. And you're like, I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. I do. Because I know life is tough. And I know things aren't going to go our way. And it's not going to look like you have many reasons to have joy. And yet, what we see in the book of Acts, when everything is going wrong, the people who are following Christ are still rejoicing in God. And so I want us to get to that. I want us to hold that truth. I want that to get to our hearts because that changes how we live. And I also know this. All of us are on a pursuit of joy. And the greatest heartache in the world is searching and looking for joy in places it cannot deliver. So, with that said, number one, my joy is found 
in the presence of God. My joy is found in the presence of God. You will not find joy that lasts running away from God. You'll find it running to God. God is the source of joy, the creator and sustainer of all things. Your joy will be filled only when you find it in God. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's wordy, but it is golden. Most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, right? So he's looking and he's seeing people praise and he's saying, hey, this is a fact. This has escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or giving honor. I'd even noticed all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their lover. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, people, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced mind praise the most while the cranks and the misfits and the malcontents praise the least. And so I want you to get in your mind, what do you praise? You can look this up. It's on your Instagram, it's on your Snapchat, it's on your social media. What do you talk about most? What do you give most praise to? Because you're starting to get to your sources of joy. All right? And so he goes on. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously give praise to whatever they value, they also urge them to join in with others to praise it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? So in the book of Psalms, what you see is when the psalmist is praising God, he's encouraging all of us to praise God. Isn't this true? If something tastes good, you're like, oh man, that's fantastic. Hey, taste this. This is awesome. We busted out the uh, caramel, uh, caramel M&M's. Right? You take one, you're like, oh, this is fantastic, and then you pass them around. Hey, you got to try this. Right? Because we want people to experience the same joy that we have. When you see an awesome play on a football game or in a basketball game, you're, you're pointing people to that. Hey, check this out. Look at how cool this is. You're inviting people into the celebration. And then he goes on to summarize. I think we delight to praise uh, what we enjoy because praise is not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Right? So when you enjoy something, it reverberates in praise. It is not out of compliment that husbands and wives keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So, why do we sing songs giving praise to God? Is hopefully we find our joy in God and it is incomplete until we find ourselves putting into words that enjoyment. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. This isn't just something we do because we come to church and we've got to sing a couple songs. Right? The worship that we do should be an overflow of the joy of our hearts. All right? And then, I think this is the kicker. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. All right? So he's saying, hey, what we're trying to find enjoyment in is way too weak. You've got to go to something bigger and better. Says we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So, look in your life. What brings you joy? If it's anything that can be taken from you, you are far too easily pleased. So we showed that picture of football. 
Was there times of unenjoyment Friday night? Yeah. So when Phil got cut down and someone put his face mask right on his shin, he didn't cry. But man, he's going to have a welt and a bruise. That wasn't enjoyable. Right? When, when things went wrong and we didn't do right, Mary, was that enjoyable? No. It wasn't like the, the, joy, the, the happiness of a football game ebbs and flows. If you're a Bengals fan, there's more not joy than joy. Right? And, and so it ebbs and flows. And so I don't want to hook my joy based on something that's so changing. I don't want to be that easily pleased. I want to hook my source of joy onto the God of joy. Because then, no matter what happens, how bad a season is, how bad a job is, my joy is still secure because it's found in God who's never changing. All right, so my joy found in the presence of God. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 1611. If you have your phones, put it in there. Psalm 1611. This is a very, very important verse. This is one of the verses that you should order your life around. It says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? In the presence of God is the fullness of, of joy. And, and when we get that, that frees us up, one, to experience the fullness of joy, but then two, to stop chasing things that are joy counterfeiters. Things that promise you joy, but actually leave you bankrupt. Psalm 21, 6, it says, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. And then you, we see in Luke, we, we sing joy to the world. When do we sing that? Christmas time. Jesus comes. The angels announce His coming. Hey, joy to the Lord. Great news. Good joy coming to you. Why? Because God come near. But then we also see in the end of Luke, after Jesus ascends to the Father, it says, And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I love how Luke begins and ends with joy. So I want you to think of your own life. If you had to rank it on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rank how joyful your life is now? How joyful is your life now? One to ten, you're like, oh man, negative three. Or for, for me, mine's like a 12 because we're on a long break. Right? We don't have school tomorrow. I can't wait. Right? It's going to be fantastic until Monday night hits. And then my joy level is going to come. So where's your joy? And the key to be consistent with joy is to hook it on the presence of God. And so, what happens in Acts chapter 2? Jesus says, hey, go in Jerusalem and wait till I send the helper. And then who comes in Acts chapter 2? We talked about him briefly, first, uh, first sermon on Acts. The Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus sends a helper to come and be with his disciples. So when Jesus says, hey, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then to the ends of the ages, I'll be with you. How is that a reality? It's through the Holy Spirit. And then... We see in Galatians 5, 22, that the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. If the Holy Spirit is with us, part of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is joy. Your life will be marked with joy as you walk with the Spirit, as you're filled with the Spirit. Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. And this is the crazy part. I asked a coach, some of the coaches hate being on our coaching staff because they're always getting questions about the sermon. And I asked them, I said, hey, how do you think, do you think most Christians, most people go to church, and, and real quick, those aren't the same thing. Christians and people that go to church, those aren't the same, right? 
But I was asking him if church people, people that go there, do you think their lives are filled with joy? And he goes, well, man, I'll, to be honest with you, I don't think so. And he goes, and one way I know that is if you go out to eat after a church service and you run into people, you try to cut them in line, see what happens. And he goes, and as a matter of fact, uh, one of my kids was a waiter, and he said some of the stingiest people are the Sunday afternoon crowd coming from church. Lives aren't marked with joy. And so there's a disconnect. How can we worship and serve the God of joy and our lives be empty of it? We might not have the Spirit. We might not know Christ. Because if you know Christ and you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be marked with joy. And then I, I thought of an idea. You guys, have, if you've ever been to the Reds game, they do the, the different things where you've got to keep track. Mirdy, you're up. I'm going to try to do this fast and get you. Try to keep an eye right here, right? If you can figure out what's underneath there, you win. All right? Middle. Middle? This one? Awesome. All right. What's the point? You'll never find it, right? Because it's not there. But a lot of us are trying to look for joy like it's underneath a cup and it'll never, ever be there. So, hey, now get this. Get this point. And listen, this is for, for young and old. Your joy is not found in retirement, isn't found in a high paycheck or a bonus or hitting the lottery. Your joy isn't found in an awesome car, the best girlfriend or best boyfriend, best husband or best wife. Your joy is not found in health. Your joy is found in Christ. And everything else can go, but if you have Christ, you'll be filled with joy. And now, I, I want you to see this. I want you to, if my source of joy is Julianne, there's a problem because that's way too high of expectation for her and then her of me. And this is what I mean. If my joy was only based on what Julianne does, and if she didn't do something, my joy is incomplete, that's holding her up to the place of God. All right, so she makes the best chocolate chip cookies, right? I could eat a chocolate chip cookie every night. And unfortunately, I'm doing more than, than not. But these cookies are fantastic. But let's say one night, you know, I ask her, hey, I need you to do this. Um, and she does, and like, ah, you're robbing me of joy, right? That can't be our exchange when it comes to joy. Here's the cool part. My joy's found in God, so I can put a relationship of marriage and the right parameters for joy. I rejoice in her because that's a precious gift, but she's not the source of my joy. Relationships are precious gifts, but they cannot be the source of your joy. It has to be Christ. If you're holding anyone or anything up for your source of joy, and if that was taken away from you, you don't have joy anymore, that's the place of God in your life. And guys, Satan's trying to trick you into doing that every day of your life. So for instance, today we come in with a soundboard. It's not work. It's not cooperating. That can rob you of your joy. Or you wait and you think, oh, wait a second. All of this is just so we can lift up our voices to praise God. He's the source of joy. We'll either fix it or not, but in the end, we're still going to have joy. Is it frustrating? Yes. But it's not keeping us from joy. And so joy is found in the presence of God, because in His presence is the fullness of joy. But then, I also want you to see this. Joy flows from obedience to God. 
If God is the source of joy, if you're running away from God, doing whatever you want to do, you're going to rob yourself of joy. Now, it can be fun for a moment, but in the end, it's a dead-end street. And so I, I want you to see this. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 15, and you can just mark that. I won't spend, I won't spend too much time in there just for the sake of time. But Jesus is talking about, like, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. It's, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And I think we understand the illustration, right? If a branch is connected to a vine, it'll bear fruit, and that's the purpose of the branch. But if you rip the vine off, it's not connected to the, the vine. The branch won't bear any fruit because it'll die. And then we, we see the whole point of why Jesus is saying that in John 15, 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that your joy may be full. I think a lot of times when we look at like the commands of God, we're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't, or I should do this, but I'm not going to. Um, what we don't realize is when you run from God, you're robbing yourself of the joy that you will find in obeying God. Jesus gives his commands so we might have life and life to the fullest. And so everybody in the room is old enough we can cover this example. So what Satan does with sex and what Satan does with drugs and alcohol is he says, hey, this is where joy is. When you hear the music that's topping our charts in the world today, they're saying, hey, this is where you'll find your joy. If you just have this, you'll be happy. And Satan's selling us on this lie. And meanwhile, God's saying, it's like, no, 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 no. This is where the most joy is found. So with sex, where does God give it? Sex is a good gift to his people, but it's found with parameters. Where are the parameters? Sex is to be enjoyed by a husband and wife in the concepts, the confines and the commitments of marriage. And it's to be enjoyed. And what happens is people think that, hey, you know what? That's, that's old fat. That's... Uh, that's a long time ago. I'm going to do whatever. And what happens is people run over here and they think they can have sex with whoever and however and do whatever they want. And what happens is there's heart, regret, and shame over here. Because it's not meant to be enjoyed over here. God says, hey, this is the way to enjoy this gift. You know, gasoline is great for my truck. It's not great if I get it on the carpet in my house. Right? There, there's certain ways things work and God's given us the guidelines. And now the cool part, if you messed up in the area of sex, there is forgiveness and there is peace and there's restoration in Christ. But if you keep running after stuff over here away from God, you'll never find the joy that you're so desperately seeking. And that's just one example. I've seen men waste their lives and find out too late pursuing more money if they just had a little bit more money in the bank. If they just had a little bit nicer car, a little bit nicer house, couple season tickets, they'd be happy. And they miss it. They just had the right vacation. They could just catch more fish. And they miss out on joy. So I want you to look in your life. Do you see any joy counterfeiters starting to rob you of your joy? Are you starting to chase after things that are empty? There's nothing there anyways. Or is your joy rooted and following Christ. Now, with that said, I want to give you a concrete example. Um, in your Bibles, Luke chapter or Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, there is no reason for the disciples to be happy in this circumstance. All right? So check out Paul and Silas. This is an interesting account. 
So Paul and Silas, Paul radically transformed. He went from putting people in prison and voting to kill people for following Jesus to spreading the gospel. And he's going on these missionary trips. He's walking and, and doing all this stuff. And, and listen to how it goes um, in this instance. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain in fortune telling. Right? So these guys had a golden goose. Everywhere they would take this girl, she could tell people their future and provide them a fortune. They loved this girl. They didn't have to work. They just used her. She followed Paul and, and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Right? I don't know if you've ever had someone follow you too close, get up in your personal space, annoy you with a bunch of words. It happens to me all the time. Right? I work at Holmes High School, and I know which class to avoid because so-and-so's in it. But I can't avoid it. i got to go there. And every day I'm thinking, oh, man, would you just stop talking? Right? Listen to what Paul says. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. All right, if you get under the skin of an apostle who wrote half of the New Testament, you're doing something. He gets annoyed. He turns and says to the girl, the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. That's crazy. Now, you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Paul just heals her. Like, that's a great thing, except it's not good for Paul. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. They didn't care about the girl. They cared about their money. And so they take Paul and Silas and say, oh, you're not doing that stuff here. And when they brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now listen, I don't know about you, that sounds painful and embarrassing. Well, things just went south. We were just walking around, we healed a girl, and now we're getting our clothes ripped off us and beaten with sticks and rods. What's going on? And now, verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows... Upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Many, they, they hit them, and they hit them, and they, these two men are bloody and bruised. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Can you imagine how much pain they're in? They're in the bottom of this prison, and their feet are locked up, their backs are on fire from being beaten, and here these two guys are, and what did they do? They obeyed God. God sends them out to spread the message of the good news of Christ. And I wonder if their next instance, if this is what I get for following Christ, I'm done. Question. Can you have joy when your life is turned upside down? This is the answer that Paul and Silas are about to give us. There is no reason to be rejoicing if you're Paul and Silas. But check out what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. That is an amazing fact. Their hearts are still overflowing with joy and it's reverberating into praise to God. That's the type of joy God gives you. When your world is upside down, you can still have joy. And it's found only in Jesus. And so in the room, there are two types of people in here right now. 
one of us, we're sitting there with Paul, right? We know Christ. We know the, the riches that are coming our way in Christ. We know our future is secure. We know death can't touch it. We need to remember our joy is secure. Some of you are going through the ringer right now and need to be reminded of that some of you, everything's good. And so it's important to take note when things go bad, no matter what this life may throw at you, your joy is secure in Christ. Now, I think nobody in here will be locked up, beaten with rods, and shackled in the dungeon of a prison for sharing the gospel. But I can guarantee you this, your life will be hard. And if you're following Jesus, what you're promised is more suffering. But in that suffering, you also will experience joy that is untouchable. It's through obedience. And, and then we'll meet the second group of people in the room. So here they are, they're singing and they're, they're praising God. And then check out what happens, verse 26. Acts chapter 16, verse 26. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now imagine you're the jailer here. This is a huge problem. This is a nightmare situation if you're ever a jailer. Crud. The things that kept me safe, the doors and the shackles are now gone. I'm a dead man. And listen to what his response was. When the jailer woke, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners escaped. You see, he would have been dragged out and killed had they escaped, had they made a run for it, which would be a normal reaction if you're in prison and your doors all of a sudden open. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, things weren't making sense to this jailer. Why are these two dudes singing? They're lying in a pool of their own blood. They're in pain. They're probably tired. We know they're broken. And yet they're singing praise to God. And so they see, season. Hey, what do I need to do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized, he and his family. Then he brought them up to his house, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Do you see this now? This is the second group of people, the jailer and his family. So some of you in the room know Christ and need to be reminded how deeply rooted your joy is and how sure it is. And then some of you need to know what it is to experience the joy of salvation. This jailer was desperate. His life hung in the balance. And he's like, what do I have to do to be saved? And he hears the good news of how Jesus came for him, paid for his sin on the cross, was dead and buried, and God raised him from the dead, and all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And what happened as a result of him and his family deciding to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus? They break out rejoicing. Their hearts are filled with joy, which leads to praise. And some of you need to make that decision today. That is where you will find your joy. And it's only in Christ. Out of desperation and to eternal joy. That's what the jailer and his family experienced. And the same can be true of us today. So we, we see joy is found in the presence of God. Joy flows through obedience to God. And, and I wonder, is there something God's calling you to today? 
I've got an email from a guy from India, and he asked, do you have anybody that would be willing to go on a mission trip to India in the next six months? I thought, man, that's a quick turnaround. Like, how, is that, how are we going to do that? You got to get this and this and this and this. And then I thought, I don't want to rob people of the opportunity that maybe God's calling them to. Have you guys ever thought about going to India to spread the news of the gospel, to help missionaries that are in the country doing the work now but need help? God might be coming, you're like, well, Ben, if I do that, I can't afford this, and I can't go to this vacation. And Yeah, but your joy will be filled because you're walking obediently with Christ. But then maybe, and that's, that's, those are big picture obedience. What about the daily obedience? Are you in the Word? Are you devouring this book? Are you spending time praying for one another? Are you confessing and turning from sin and following Christ? You, you see, there's, there's verses in the Bible that say, don't grieve and don't quench the Spirit. And every time we run from God, you're killing the joy in your life. But when you turn from that and confess it, you're restoring the joy that you find in Christ. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Obedience flows joy. And then finally, my joy is contagious. It can fill a person, a family, and a city with joy. I think it's interesting. You have a guy named Philip, right? This is Acts chapter 8. I want to summarize it quickly. Um, Paul's whooping up people. Church is getting persecuted. We'd be here having a worship service. Guys would break in. They'd arrest half of you. Everybody else gets to run, right? When there's enough guys arrested, they don't have any more cuffs. Everybody else gets to run freely. Or if you're like me and slow, you're gone. But let's say, Miriti will use you, right? Taiwan, you're done because you've got crutches. Me and you get arrested. You make a run for it. And you're like, I ain't going back to Covington. They're arresting people for going to church. He starts running, going down to Flowtown. He's in Florence. And he's spreading the gospel there. But guess what Jameer takes with him? He takes with him the gospel. And the gospel, when he spreads, it leads to joy. And what happens is cities are being filled with the gospel and they're overflowing in joy. And so half of us get arrested as stinks, but we still praising and worshiping God in the jail. Half of you guys are going and as you're going, you're spreading the gospel and joy just keeps spreading. That's what you see in the book of Acts. What would it look like in Covington for our neighborhoods to explode in joy to God, rejoicing about the forgiveness of Christ, rejoicing about being made new in Christ, rejoicing about having their sins forgiven, about having eternal life. What would that look like in Covington? What would that look like in northern Kentucky? What would that look like in the places you work? What would that look like in your homes? You see, joy is contagious. And as the gospel spreads, people break out rejoicing. There was this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he's on a chariot, and Philip, after spreading the gospel to these cities, he sees him, and God's like, hey, I need you to go to that chariot. Jumps up in the chariot, and he tells this Ethiopian about the gospel, and, and then I want you to hear how this conversation is. After he's baptized, the Spirit of the Lord led Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And, and what we find in church history is Ethiopia was a hotbed for Christianity in the first century. Why? Because Philip was obedient, got to a, a guy that was going there, told him about the gospel, and in his joy, in his praise, he spread it. Spread the gospel. It can happen on an individual level. It can happen on a family level. It can happen on a neighborhood level. It can happen in a city level. And so one thing that I want you guys to join with me in praying for is pray for your schools to be filled with joy as they hear the gospel. Pray for our city, specifically Covington, to be filled with joy as a result of the gospel, because joy is contagious. 
And joy is full when it's found in Christ. So I'm going to leave you with this. The, the two groups of people. Um, Paul leaves a command, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that's written in the book of Philippians. You know what happened, where he's writing that book from? He's writing it from a jail cell. I want you to listen to Paul's life, his, his, his resume, you would say. And then when he says, hey, I want you to rejoice, and it's not an option. He say, hey, you're going to do this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, and so rejoice in the Lord always. I want you to think about that as I'm reading to you some of the tough times in Paul's life. This, this is found in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. He's talking to uh, some other people that are questioning his authenticity. And he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes less one. You want to know why they didn't do 40? Because usually that killed a person. And so five times he is beaten within an inch of his life. And then he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, right? He was drug out of the city. Guys threw rocks at him. And the only reason they stopped throwing rocks is because they thought he was dead. And, and then Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always, even if you are almost murdered. Three times I was shipwrecked. This is the sad part. If he wasn't walking, he's on a boat. And man, you don't want to be on the same boat as Paul. Three times he experienced shipwrecked. At night and a day, I was adrift at sea. You guys have ever been to the ocean? We were in the ocean, and there was a manatee. But listen, when you're in the ocean and you see something big and dark in the water, you don't have time to think, oh, is that a manatee or not? What happens? You're terrified. You start sprinting to the shore. Paul here, a night and a day, he's just drifting, trying to get to the shore. Right? This is a man who planted a ton of churches, who wrote half of the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, and he's floating at sea, and he probably thinks this is about it. On frequent journeys, and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, and through sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, and often without food, and cold and exposure, rejoice in the Lord always. You see, when I, I hold up Paul's life to mine, man, I've got it made in the shade. Got it made in the shade. But I wonder if my joy matches his. And so one thing I want to see with, throughout the book of Acts, I want our church to be marked with joy. I want us to rejoice at the things God is doing. And he is doing a work in our city and in our schools and in our community. And I want it to be marked with joy. Why? Because we serve the God of joy. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. And then I'm going to leave you with this verse, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And here the writer's talking. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now this is the key. Looking to Je Why are we looking to Jesus? Does Jesus set an example in how we're to pursue joy? Absolutely. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but being nailed to a cross, your hands and your feet, 
a spear run through your side. That doesn't sound very enjoyable to me. So what's that joy? What is he talking about there? He's talking about obeying to the Father and seeing through the cross at what was going to come. Mainly that you and I and everyone who believes in Christ could be saved. That's the joy that he set before him so that he can endure something as painful as the cross, enduring the wrath of the Father for sin. He's like, that's not a big deal compared to what's on the other end of the cross. And that is true for you, and that is true for me. No matter what happens, let's say, God forbid, I'm diagnosed with cancer in the next week, and I'm gone within the year. Guess what? My joy is sure because I know how this thing ends. Death is not the end. Heaven is promised. Christ is sure. He will lead me home. You cannot touch my joy. I'm going to look to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering your people here this morning. Father, I pray for, for the two groups of people in the room, those who have yet to experience the joy of salvation. I pray that today they'll, they'll talk with someone who knows you personally, who can tell them the way of salvation, tell them the good news about your son Jesus, how he came to save us. I pray that today they'll know your joy, Father, I pray for that second group, for those that are here and those that are traveling. Father, a lot of people going through the ringer. And I pray that they know you and experience the joy that comes only through your spirit during these times. I pray that they anchor their joy to you and not on something that's fleeting. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this city. Father, I thank you for your patience and your forgiveness your wisdom and your direction. I thank you for filling us with joy so that as we move forward, the gospel can be clear. I pray for joy to break out in our homes, in our lives, in our families, and in our cities. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.